Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Well, yes, sir. From the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of HowlRRadioLive.com, nestled in a secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program is produced with an artistic vengeance by Magic Matt Allen, who after all these years should probably know better. We're going to talk about trauma, something our listeners experience every week at this time. Well, they're listening to us. They're listening to us. Yeah. I've been working on a book for a couple of years with my partner, Frank C. Gerardo Jr. One of the characters, and she's a real character, who figures prominently in the book and whose life has been an exciting series of traumas is Kelly Lee. Welcome. Uh, welcome, Kelly. I, Hi, Beryl. I do have a uh, some uh, uh, imagined quotes, uh, reconstructed quotes from you to give our listeners kind of a, uh, a general overview of life in the fast lane. In case you haven't figured it out, being a homeless teenager is dangerous. I'm lucky to be alive. The hell really started when I was 15. That's when I was kidnapped, held hostage, raped, sodomized, beaten, abused, and blatantly traumatized. Well, isn't that your weekend activities, bro? <laughs> weekend activities, yeah. <laughs> you summed up my lifestyle pretty, pretty accurately there, Mark. So I'd like to I like to start in general terms, and then we can talk about the, the specific story. Yeah, plus he's got the timeline wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was traumatized. Then she was kidnapped. <laughs> uh, trauma in general yeah. and its relation to uh, developing a, an individual with criminal intent. How does that work? Who do you want to answer that? Well, we're all experts. In other words, trauma has an influence on your behavior patterns and coping patterns after a trauma. Yeah, totally. And that may include avoidance of dealing with the emotions uh, and the situations of being traumatized. Yeah. And to numbing oneself, that may be involve uh, opiates or disassociatives. They want my traits. Anything to keep you from being where you are. Yeah. Uh, but wherever you go, there you are. Do, do, you think bonds, that, I would say. do you think that the trauma itself can affect self-esteem, which leads one to a sense of hopelessness and therefore... Um, you know, if this is my life, I might as well live it. Yeah, or yeah. it must be my fault. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. It's like uh, mm. P.F. Sloan, our dear friend who passed away, uh, what, uh, a couple years ago, right after finally getting all of his money back. <laughs> right, and visiting us. I think that yeah. could have had something uh, to do with it. He wrote a song called What Exactly is the Matter with Me? <laughs> and it's also the title of his autobiography. He figured it must be all my fault. <laughs> you know, it must be me. Yeah. What's wrong with me that things just keep getting screwed up, that people are mad at me, or people don't like me, or people don't trust me, and me, that's why I'm ripping them off, because they don't trust me. I'll teach them a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody like that now. Yeah. It's just hard I used to, to I used to think like that, and it's so different being on the opposite side. Say that again, dear. Feeling that way, being on the opposite side of feeling that way. There's was it uh, Gabor Mate or however you pronounce his name. This is holding the basis, the underlying basis of everything: criminality, addiction, all these things. All comes down to some form of trauma, which is. Uh, which means there's a hell of a lot of people out there traumatized. Yeah, there is. <laughs> well, it also depends on the individual. Yes. And how they perceive trauma. Um, yeah, I, I, well, you've been traumatized pretty severely. Well, yes, life. because I work with you. Yeah, well, aside from that. And I have to support your freaking <laughs> yes, I know. habits of eating and breathing. <laughs> and Matt Allen, our producer, uh, he's been severely traumatized by being in broadcasting for many years. Well, yeah. well, that'll, do, well that'll warp anyone's brain. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I was in college in a, uh, a business management class, 
the teacher said that one up and he goes, professor, whatever. He says, okay, we're going to talk about degrees of upset. That's what he called it. And you just take a sheet of notebook paper with the lines and you divide it, in ver- you divide it vertically and in half. So you make a little plus sign. And on the top, you put what's the worst thing that could ever happen. You know, okay, the, the earth explodes. On the bottom, what's the, le- what's the thing that is least traumatizing? What's the, the least worst thing? Toenail, you'd stub your toe. <clears throat> and then you start listing things. In between. Right, okay, so at the top, you know, okay, uh, a car crash kills your family. Yeah. Okay, and you lose a sibling, you lose a child. You, you list everything down to what's in the middle and down. You just kind of, and each person lists their own, and then we went over it in class. And so everybody has their own idea of what is traumatizing. And the exercise was to try and level the trauma. The object of being in charge is being calm and in charge. And if you have a perspective of what's really bad and what's not really bad, you can easily lay out the and help your people that you work that work for you on whatever it is going on and how to deal with it emotionally. Well, they say one of the ten signs of the boundary amassed or screwed up individual is catastrophizing. Yeah. You know, it's like everything is the worst thing that could ever happen. Yeah. Hey, after a while, you're going, oh, God, give me a break. Is that me calling you? Yes, you call me, me bro. Yeah, are we having a good conversation? <laughs> anyway, uh, where everything is a catastrophe. Right. And, and so oh, then there's no sense of relativity. It's like, well, hell, what's the difference? Yes, and that's, that's the point of the exercise. So if, if something horrible happens at work, whatever it is, to the group, to the business, to the individual. It's your job to help that person compartmentalize the trauma and to deal with it appropriately. So, Appropriately does not mean bringing a gun to work the next day and shooting your co-workers. Well, at the time when I was in college, this going postal didn't exist. Uh, yeah. Really? <laughs> no, no, it's no. just, you know. It was like going email. I mean, it doesn't have the same <laughs> impact. And not everyone who ends up in management has, you know, went through any management courses or, you know, they just, you know, they, what's the old saying? Um, you rise to the level, level of, of incompetency. Yes. Rise to the level of incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, the company folds and now you have to fire everybody. Yeah, this that sounds is not traumatic. the happiest of days. No, no, that's not <laughs> right. Uh, when I was working for Home Savings, uh, management had you know went nuts and hired a whole bunch of people. <laughs> we had went nuts and hired a whole bunch of people. <laughs> well, we had a, we had over a thousand people in IT at one point when I was over in Baldwin Park Business Center. But <clears throat> at some point, the bloat was too much. And so upper management, you know, basically said, get rid of a third of your people. My boss, my immediate supervisor, was picked to go and collect each person being laid off. Bring them to the, you know, the, the manager's <laughs> office that would, where they were discussing it and let them go. And I, the amount of stress on her was just, she was just a mess. And I... I I asked if she wanted uh, some help, grudgingly agreed, and I drew her that picture. And I said, start writing. And once she realized, you know, that the loss of a family member was much worse than what she was going through, it was She went home and killed one of her family members. Right, because, you know, (laughs) and then for the rest of us, they went alphabetically. So when they got to the C's, my friend and I was uh, another B. We went to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you wouldn't be there. No, because they were up to the seas. <laughs> um, so it's it's how each person individually Did you get fired? What? Did you get fired? No, I said they got to the seas. Oh. Past I, the bees. You, and you, so you, we you went knew, to lunch. You knew you were safe. Yeah. You just took off. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, you know, I went to the boss at lunch before we left. 
And I said, well, okay, you're into the seas. We're going to lunch. <laughs> but I can see that you're really freaked. Would you like some help? And then I drew the picture, and she was low. It was a lot easier. Okay, now, Kelly, when you went through your trauma, which was briefly alluded to without going into detail, but yeah. basically someone you trusted took you for a ride in the car. Next thing you know, you get a hypodermic needle jabbed into you, if I'm correct. Yeah, I was 11 when that happened. Uh, ooh, I thought so why don't you watch it? You know, no, 15 is when I hitchhiked across the country. Huh. So you Out were 11 here. years old when this guy drugged yeah, you and raped you? Yeah, okay, he, was so, a, uh, he was a hell's angel. Oh, so why don't we start with why did you run away okay so and 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 ha- what brought you to you know wandering around okay well so after that happened when i got home my mom started to beat me up she didn't ask why i was out all night she just did that so i ended up grabbing yeah. a knife and i tried to stab her so they sent me to placement the next day and i spent the next four year three years in there till 14 and when i got out i hitchhiked cross country to get away from all of them mm-hmm. Um, she still had never asked me what why I was out all night. It took to like it took years. No, it took years in a, in a in a family session for me to bring it up. But I used it as a weapon. Oh, figures. You know, so yeah. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> topic. Uh, trauma as a weapon. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, weaponizing your trauma on someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, like a round robin of selfish insanity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just couldn't get far enough away, so I checked out here, and I spent six months. And then I went back, and I came back at 18, and I'm out here now. I'm 50, you know. You're still alive and still traumatized. Still, no, not I'm not traumatized Traumatized the same way. No, not at all. I've used it to become better. Better, more compassionate? Yeah. Empathetic? Yeah. Forgiving, perhaps, but yet still guarded. Just because they're damaged doesn't mean you can let them get away with shit. Well, what's, yes. yeah, what's that old story? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're not being followed. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Although, if you think the person in front of you is following you, you're a little bit over the line. Yeah. When I lived in Walla Walla, Washington, there's a friend of mine who went to the grocery store, Safeway store, it was like a Ralph's here in L.A., went to the grocery store at the same time every morning. Mm-hmm. Well, so did one of her neighbors. And she was always behind that same car every day on the way to the grocery store. She said, I think that person's following me. <laughs> <laughs> they probably think you're following them. She said, you both go to the same grocery store every morning. That's all. At the same time. At the same time, that's all. But uh, sometimes... Uh, I felt that way a few times. <laughs> yeah, you probably were being followed a few times. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. this other friend of mine was over visiting, talking about that her her boyfriend was under surveillance by the authorities. She wasn't. She was just, just you know, hi. You know, but he, he had some behavioral issues. And so what is it? Knock at the door. And she goes and she peeks through the little people just as they use their battering ram to knock the door down. She could have sued. She should have sued. <laughs> she should have sued, but she didn't know. You know what do I know? Okay. Still to this day, if it's cold out, the entire side of her face goes dumb. Well, yeah, that's serious. They batter him the front door off once it, to get me at Howie's house. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, they did. Somebody's in my room. I'm like, you better get down. Get down on your face. Put your hands on your head, because if not, they might shoot you. <laughs> oh, well, that's a nice way to start the day. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Now, this is back in the days before marijuana became one of America's great national legal pastimes. Uh, you were, as what I refer to, I think, in the book, as an unlicensed pharmaceutical supplier. Ah, that's it. Okay, okay. So we're whitewashing uh, the contract. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> 20 years ago, George Carlin was railing on this kind of language crap. Yeah. yeah I love George Carlin. He always spoke highly of you, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not shell shock. It's, it's uh, post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't had it. Uh, my favorite one is when he was talking about his penis. Oh. <laughs> the one-eyed wonder that. worm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll never forget that I was little. <laughs> uh, I'd say it's stuck in your head, but that yeah. doesn't sound right either. Uh, <laughs> I got into an argument with, this morning with my breakfast food. <laughs> I distinctly heard, snap, crackle, fuck him. <laughs> well... Well, I said, you can just sit there in the mouth for all I care. <laughs> Silly me. That's their job. Little beige blisters of air floating proudly in the milk. <laughs> uh, you have a good memory. George loved language. He did. And he played with it. He also was uh, obsessively correct. I mean, he hated misuse of language. Uh, if you read any of his little books, he rails on a lot of uh, language misuse. But uh, Over the least 12 times I saw him over 40 years, um, one portion of his show was usually dedicated, especially in the larger venues, was dedicated to sitting down on a stool with index cards. And he would just read the index card and watch. And listen. And he would take notes and then read the next index card. When he'd go through all the index cards, he'd go back to the first one and look at the notes. And he would say the same thing in a different way. And write down notes. He did that three times. And then he, and that was just a short portion, and he would do the rest of his act. And those were bits he was working on. Oh. So, um, uh, Rice Krispies isn't funny. Breakfast food is funny. I got into an argument with my breakfast food. Is much funnier than I got I into an I argument with Rice Krispies. Yeah. Because... The punchline that follows is not is not um, uh, what's the word uh, specific? No, um, funny. <laughs> obvious. There's another word that that he, that is used. Um, Predictable. Pointed at. It's another term for being obvious. Yeah. So if you say I got into argument with Rice Krispies, the punchline isn't as funny. But if you say breakfast food and then do snap, crackle, fuck you, fuck him, <laughs> it's funny. And that's the way he approached most of the material he did. It's a lot of work. But that's who he was. He was a perfectionist like a lot of artists are, which is what causes a lot of artists to self-destruct. I mean, you yeah. think of uh, Richard Jenny and uh, Robin Williams and... Uh, Tim Buckley. Oh, the, the young the Freddie Prince Jr. Oh. You think of all these people that couldn't handle success because they were traumatized as individuals. Well, you know, the thing is that I don't know if they're perfectionists. If you strive for perfection, you're just going to frustrate yourself because perfection is endless. There's no such thing. It goes forever. But if you strive for excellence, which is relative, mm -hmm. you can achieve it. Well, what if it that... got perfect? If it was perfect, you'd bored. Yeah. Well, wasn't that uh, wasn't that Steinbeck's point in his gigantically boring book, Excellence? <laughs> yeah, you know, that was bit. the point. Yeah. After you know, you know, whatever, 500 pages of gee. Steinbeck, you know. In case you're wondering what those sound effects are, that's Kelly Lee putting a neck brace on as she fears for her life being in this room. Well, I would I fear for my life when I'm ever around you. Yeah. I'm not contagious. No, my, my neck is hurting. It's, mm -hmm. I got two, I have four vertebrae that are smashed. Oh, not good. Ruptured, right. smashed. But huh? Let's talk about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. She was in a horrible uh, accident. Not her fault. No. Nobody's fault. God's fault. Let's sue God for acts of God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there's no, no airbags in the, in the car, so that's definitely the dealer's fault. Were there supposed to be airbags? Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you mentioned this to the dealer? Yeah, yeah I did. We were having interest, colorful conversations. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> I had right. some colorful conversations with my dealer. There better not be any damn fentanyl in this. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I was talking to my dealer, and he said that the car comes with four tires. 
<laughs> Look at it with five. <laughs> so why don't you, before we get to our guest and her involvement, why don't you tell us the uh, the story in general that we're talking about today? Oh, well, I'm just giving we a little quick preview of a forthcoming book that uh, isn't out yet. We're just finishing it up. Uh, it would be done faster if I could find the... The one person's first name, I know their last name, uh, Castellano, the uh, one, the woman who was, anyway. Yeah. Uh, she was an attorney who got fired for recommending the obvious defense in the case. Well, we're way ahead of ourselves. Way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, let's start yeah. with... Here we go. Yeah. It's, it's at that time of Kelly's life when she's... No, 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 we're not talking about Well, yeah, her. but she's very important to the story. It's well, the, a the, time reference You need here. to start with the bad guys and the police. Well, you can't really start there. Okay. It doesn't start there. It doesn't start there. You have a uh, a kid uh, who runs away from home, and he's got a girlfriend. She's knocked up. He thinks he knocked her up. No one find out. It looks just like him. Yeah, it looks like him, but <laughs> did a DNA test. No, it's not his. What? Wow, yeah, that's, that's the latest news. Well, he's married uh, well, okay. now. It's a, yeah, so. yeah. We're not on Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just take this to what's the other guy's name with the DNA test. Patients for He loves his grandparents. He meets Kelly. She becomes his, so uh, his standing mom. Yeah. Is there anything, anything different about this young man? Yes, he has a severe ADD. Okay. And, uh, He's also had trauma. <laughs> Lots of it. Lots of it in his early age. Yeah. So he has very short, it's like a short attention span theater. Uh, he really wants to be liked, so he'll kind of adapt himself uh, into situations where he doesn't belong. Uh, it's, it's problematic. Someone who can be easily used and manipulated. Yeah. Well, guess what? He becomes taken under the wing of a low-level Russian gangster who... Put, gives him and his girlfriend food to eat, uh, motel rooms, all these wonderful things. You know, has them uh, eaten out of his hand. And uh, he just gives him some wonderful ideas. You know, uh, see this drunk guy <laughs> over here? No, he was Mark, owed, he owed Mark money. Yes, well, that was the story. Yeah. And uh, that is the story. That is what happened. And they got him in there. And. I don't know how I've always known, been known for duct tape. Well, there was no duct. I asked about this. Uh-huh. I specifically uh-huh. pursued that line of questioning yes. with him, and he said, "No, there was no duct tape ever involved. Would have been a good idea, but there was no duct tape." It's and it no was. dirt bike. No. Uh, the Russian gangster guy says, "See this nice drunk fellow we just met? You, know, you could take over his apartment. You know." <laughs> I could? Yes, you could. He's got stuff in there and he owes me money and he's got some valuables and I'll tell you, you go up there and you knock him out and we'll take over that apartment and you can pay his rent and you'll have a nice place to live. Makes no sense to anyone logical, but this kid isn't the brightest bulb on the porch. Yeah. So, and his meanwhile has been manipulated so his girlfriend had already left her backpack up in this guy's apartment, which isn't really up, it's on the ground floor, much to my surprise. He goes in there, the guy's really drunk. And he picks up the backpack. He goes, uh, you know, um, Benvenuto, or whatever you say in Russian. <laughs> and he grabs the guy, puts him in a headlock, takes him to the ground. Uh, I think he goes, oh, Zina, what now? His girlfriend wondered was taking so long. She goes up, let's sit there and sees that he's knocked this guy out. He's got a hog tying him. She goes, look, oh, you stupid idiot. <laughs> what, what the hell are you doing? She goes back outside. And tells the Russian gangster guy, he's knocked this guy out. Oh, I better go up there and see what's going on. Of course, it was the plan. Goes up there. He rummages through, get a bunch of stuff. The kid lays out the guy on the bed. He's still alive. And they leave. This is all a setup. A setup to get the kid arrested. Why? Ah, this is the untold secret. The plot if, you, if you buy the book, you'll already know the surprise twist that comes halfway through. And that is, this gangster has been doing identity theft and bank fraud and more identity theft and casino theft uh, and drug dealing is also a snitch, a confidential informant mm-hmm. of the Pasadena Police Department, the DEA, and the FBI. And why? Because his uncle, who's kind of a really a fascinating and cool character, <laughs> is in federal prison. And his handler says, and this is right there in the court records, if you bring us a... 
We'll let your uncle out. Ah, help them solve a murder. Yes, help us solve a murder, and your uncle gets out of prison. Well, the fastest way to solve a murder is to create create one. Create one. (laughs) Well, so long story short, uh, Kelly is the makeshift mom for this kid was very upset to discover he's now been murdered. Murder crimes like, you know, at the end of Psycho, where Norman basically, I wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he really wouldn't. No, he wouldn't, no. And so it was just totally bizarre. Uh, uh, the interesting thing is on his appeal, and I don't know why the lawyer talked to him to this, but he tried to get his, you know, the, the jury was instructed that if he killed him in the heat of passion because he wanted to uh, do his girlfriend, uh, that would count in his favor. <laughs> Which is he, stupid. Yeah, it's but so he had um, he had an attorney originally that had a defense plan that would was reasonable. Not only reasonable, in the state of California has very specific different states have different rules on this, on what's entrapment. If you are bullied or insulted or told there's some payoff for you if you will commit this crime and the person telling you that happens to be a law enforcement person, that's entrapment. And if you fall for it, if any other person would have fallen for it because of those things, threats, or, oh, no, it's really okay, or you better do this or else, and he feared retaliation against his pregnant girlfriend if he didn't, uh, you're off the hook. And then the government has to prove that it wasn't. And so he has an attorney, he has several attorneys, and one of them keeps going, well, this is obvious, an entrapment. You just check every box off, this is entrapment. She is immediately fired. Now, who <laughs> fired her? The lead attorney on the case. Now, Despite that, the fact okay. that he had requested that defense, and so did his grandparents. All right. The lead attorney, is there... Does he have any she, connection yeah. to any of the law enforcement or the or the Russian mob or anything like uh, that? You know, I wouldn't be the least bit... Me either. <laughs> this is not... A, based on my research of over 20 years being an investigative true crime author, this ain't that unusual. <laughs> it ain't unusual <laughs> to, to be screwed tied by anyway. into the yeah. mafia. <laughs> no, it's not unusual for the... Uh, especially for the public defender for the... Brothers say, tell you what, you give me this one, I'll give you the next one. So they do all the time? They do it all the time. (laughs) That's tragic. Because we think of America having a system of of justice, and it doesn't. It has a court system, but it doesn't really have a justice system. You say, oh, but it's the best one. Says who? (laughs) Compared to what? You know, there was recently a study of prosecutorial misconduct in the United States, city by city, Jurisdiction by jurisdiction, and I'm sad to say that Los Angeles did not come out looking like, uh, you know, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm <laughs> when they were done. Uh, it becomes problematic when people lose sight of what they actually swore to do in that seek justice in that in that job. People think a prosecutor's job is to find people guilty prosecutor's job is to prosecute justice. So if someone didn't do something, you got to make sure they don't get charged with it. Right. And I have asked every prosecutor we've had on this show in 15 years. And I have uh, I have asked the same question. Have you been ever in a position where you were told to prosecute someone that you firmly believe didn't do it? And they all said... Yes. That's right. Now that's heartbreaking. Because for... The DAs, district attorneys that are elected, the stance, the stance on crime, is what how many gets people did you elected. send to prison? Yeah, yeah, it gets them elected, and so um, a less than stellar conviction rate is an opponent's perfect target. Yeah. And I think I mentioned on the show before, I had a buddy of mine uh, who was a public defender. And he's just working his ass off for the client. The judge calls him up to the bench and says, what the hell are you doing? He says, I'm giving my client the best defense. He says, well, remember who writes your checks. Because the judge and the public defender are paid out of the same bank account. So he basically tells him, don't work so hard. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to give my client the best defense. 
Excuse me. All right, so so you have uh, a deal struck with the Russians to solve a murder will help get your uncle out of jail. Yeah. So they, this person that the young man knocked out and put into bed. Mm. Winds up being strangled. Yeah, okay. Uh, So he was probably already marked. He was probably somebody that was disposable or had run afoul by them and they were going to get rid of him anyways. So here's an opportunity to get rid of him Pin it on someone else and get their uncle out. This is quite the win-win for these people. Yeah. All right, so he's arrested. What happens next? Found guilty. Sentenced to uh, 15 to life. (laughs) All right. How many... Says 19. (laughs) How many of the law enforcement involved uh, were aware that he didn't commit the crime? Oh, even the judge didn't think he committed the crime. The judge was shocked that he was found guilty. <laughs> it's interesting that it's rare, but the judge does have the ability to overturn the, to overturn a jury's result. Yeah. Right. And it's usually for uh, for acquit. Yeah. Jury nullification, you call that. Yeah. But that's not what happened. So the kid goes to prison. Which he says is probably one of the best things that ever happened to him in the long run. That's what I said to Yeah. <laughs> Shut him off the street. Has it been more than 15 years? It's been yes. 20 years. And has he been released yet? You no, know, uh, he's up for parole uh, December 12th, I believe. I thought it was August. You no, know, they moved it. He actually has an actual date and an actual time, which is good. Mm-hmm. Ah. I believe it's December 12th at like uh, 8.45 in the morning or something, which is a good sign in the morning. You're in a better mood then. Yeah. So what are letters yeah. you want to write? I got his address. He's in San Quentin right now. Yeah. Uh, very interesting to talk to. Uh, while all these years in prison. He moved again? Huh? He moved again? In San Quentin right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked a couple times a week. Yeah. Uh, I have to pin him down a few times in his story. He's a little, you know, slidey on a few things, but I'm pretty good at following up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, no matter who really killed the guy, and I don't believe it wasn't him. Yeah. And everything in my investigations is the way the time things go. No, but he feels responsible to some whatever degree. Well, because he was he he let himself be the scapegoat. Yeah, and every day he thinks about the guy, or you know, prays for the guy, whatever, to keep in mind that his role that he was somehow as a foolish kid. Okay, involved in that. Let's take a quick yeah. sidetrack. Let's say I'm this young man, now who is not a young man. He gets out on parole. Statute of limitation on murder doesn't exist. No. So, is there any possibility of, um, you know, getting rid of the witness type action against him? No, because it's all kind of like... There really, so there really isn't they did a way they wanted it, at this it? point to prosecute the person who did commit the murder. No, he was already found not guilty. He was also charged with it, but he was found not guilty. Oh, so <laughs> double double jeopardy. He's yeah, done. yeah. They had separate trials. The Russian guy. Oh, okay. Kid. So I didn't. I wasn't aware that yeah. double jeopardy's out. So then he's then he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. So it doesn't really matter. You know, I was like, what's this spoke about? Is it about who didn't do it? That's about who did do it. No, it doesn't make any difference when it's all said and done. You know, in terms of the law. Yeah. You know, it's about the abuse, the abuse of the informant uh, yes. concept. And I'll tell you, I got the most incredible interview with uh, the attorney from the who wears the old suits and drives the old car. He was responsible for getting needle exchanges done and all that. And he just hates the confidential informant system. And uh, we had him on the show. Yeah. And interviewed him about, on that. We had the person who wrote about him. I remember uh, that. that. was probably a old man, yeah, yeah. going back. But then my question, my first question to him was, what's the difference? I mean, it's against the law to have a paid witness. So I can't say, hey, I'll pay you money to say such and such in court. You yes. could have expert expert witnesses yeah. uh, in a profession. Pay yeah, them. but not just in general. Like, well, oh, I saw the traffic accident. They really didn't give money. That's against the law. What's I said, what's the difference between a paid witness and a confidential informant? He said, absolutely nothing. 
My favorite, we had a case like early on when Howard was with us mm-hmm. where um, they had an expert witness and we were talking to the person and the defense attorney and he said that he asked this individual how many times has he testified and he said, you know, several hundred. And, you know, and he gets paid. Yes, he gets paid. And he asked the, the individual, how many times have you given testimony that was detrimental to those that paid you? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> that, I remember that distinctly because it made me laugh. Well, Tayali had one of those things where it was a malpractice medical malpractice case doctors and dentists don't like testifying against members of their own profession they will say in private the guy's a butcher but try to get him to say it on the stand it's a whole different situation yeah we don't want to get into medical malpractice that's a trauma that will stay with me for life yes it's been over it's 35 years and I still remember the case and the poor woman yeah, yeah it's that's, not another, that's another discussion. Another discussion for another day. Um, so he gets, he's in prison, and there's really nothing more we can do about it. No, he is up for, although I had to make sure that the book that we're doing doesn't, because our book, pretty much from our perspective of investigation, Makes it pretty clear that, one, yeah, he's a screwed-up kid. Yeah, he was gullible. He was easily manipulated. But the confidential informants broke every guideline, and so did the DEA and the FBI and the Pasadena Police Department. All the guidelines for confidential informants were violated. And one of the guys who knew it, knew what was going on, was the police detective. And the detective says, you work with the DEA? Because he knew he was. He goes, what's a DEA? The cop asks, "Come on, drug enforcement?" He goes, "Oh, that DEA." He says, "Isn't it true that you're a confidential informant? Your yeah. uncle's a confidential informant, and don't you have a deal where if you can bring a murder, your uncle will get out of prison? And this is what you're hoping to do? Well, I got news for you. I'm not going to help you." <laughs> I mean, they knew it. They knew what he was up to. The cops figured it out real fast. Uh, did the uncle get released? Of course he did. And the fascinating thing is he's done some pretty cool, interesting criminal things in zip tied being a World Poker tournament. Uh, is he started a school or daycare type thing from like K through 12 for underprivileged kids like the one that wound up going to prison to help them. And he'd been like school administrator for all this time I think he just retired from it this last year of being in charge of that program. For underprivileged kids. Well, that's nice. Yeah, and he didn't have to do that. If all the other things he'd be doing. Well, well guilt, guilt is a, is a big motivator. <laughs> well, it's just a, you know. Again, we're going back to motivation, criminal motivation, and you know, at some point when you choose to do those things, um, most people lose the guilt, the guilt gene. Because they've compartmentalized their activity and justified it because, you know, I'm never going to be any better than this. Yeah, yes, that's true. This is as good as I get. This is this is as good as it's going to get. And it's a, it's a lot to turn that around and recognize that you have more self-worth and that you can do good things. Well, this is what the kid said to me when I told him about this. He goes, wow. He says, I don't care whether it's because of what happened to me or whether because it, it happened to somebody else or whether it just happened. What's this station? This isn't a station. No, if you want. Okay, come and listen live. What is it? Outlawradiolive.com. Okay. But it'll be up on Spotify, all your podcast platforms within a couple of weeks. At truecrimeuncensored.com. <laughs> and then you can find us on any of those uh, you can find us streaming on iTunes, platforms. Spotify, uh Podbeam, whatever, <laughs> all of them. Yes, we're on all the podcast platforms. Yeah. True crime uncensored. My husband's looking for it. Oh yeah, well yeah, we're live. <laughs> we're live. Uh, we're live at True Crime Uncensored. No, we're live right now on OutlawRadioLive.com. 
and you click the radio. There's the a radio, radio up at the top, and you listen click on live. that, listen live. You'll hear my dulcet tones and your wife's adorable giggle. And my squeaky <laughs> voice. You know, you and Frank Gerardo sound the same on the radio? Oh, God, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have heard myself for a lifetime, as everyone else has. But when I hear what I sound like on the radio, I don't recognize me. I don't sound in my head what I really sound like to everyone No else. one does. That's because we hear ourselves with the mastoid bone in our head while other people are hearing us through their ears. Oh. So we sound a lot more resonant right. to ourselves. Yeah. I'm, so my tones aren't dulcet. No. no. But it might be so dulcet we're calling Dr. Pepper to the diabetes ward. <laughs> <laughs> That's how sweet they are. <sighs> So, um, so when you do, uh, when you do have uh, your book ready to uh, come out, yes, right, you and Frank will be here, and we can dissect it. You can dissect this thing like a one more time. Yeah. It's going to be called "To Live and Lie in L.A." And uh, like I said, we can't put the book out until his situation is resolved with the pro board, because all they care about isn't whether he's guilty or not. Because it's already been decided he's guilty. Yeah. It's is he. Penitent, you know. Right. Does he recognize that he did a horrible thing and he feels awful about it? Well, you remember that—that's all true. He does. Remember yeah, please, uh, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> you know, when Red goes for his uh, parole hearing. You know, there's not a day goes by that I don't want to talk to that young man and tell him the, the way life really is, mm-hmm. which gets him, which gets him out. Yeah, so know, we didn't like want to have a book coming out saying that the kid didn't do it when he's up for parole and he's got to be all penitent for having done it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you got to talk about how 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 much you regret it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you didn't li- do it. <laughs> um, to live and lie in L.A. One of the best movies in the last forty. To live and die in L.A. Live and die in L.A. with. Um, uh, the gladiator. No, <laughs> gladiator. gladiator. He was in CSI. He was the lead in the original CSI Las Vegas. And he did uh, the first movie, um, um, Manhunter, uh, oh, yeah. with Michael Mann, you know, where they first introduced Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Um, he made those two movies, and they were tremendous. Everyone remembers that film because they do. You guys go the wrong way on the freeway. Which one? Yeah, living, living, Li- oh. yeah. Counterfeiting. Yeah. Uh, both Matt and I are upset that they, you know, the end of the movie didn't. We didn't like the end of the film. Is it different than the what? The real life or the book? No, neither. It's just <laughs> we, you know, we we didn't want our hero to die. No, I don't blame you. But, uh, I mean, that's yeah. just an easy cop out to have the main character die at the end. But the thing is, if we're all the main character in our own movies, and we all die at the end, so I guess we get bitch. Well, you know, you wrote your own. Uh, you, you wrote your own detective novel. Yeah, there's the only hero. one book where I am the hero of a private eye novel, right. and I had to write it myself because no one else on this green earth of ours was thinking of writing a private eye novel with me as the hero. Yes, and and so when you write your next one, yes. well, everyone wants a sequel to it. He got rave reviews, low sales, but rave reviews. Yes, well, Mark, uh, Mark, uh, uh, pardon me, Bark Moyer is the bad guy. Really? Yes. Okay. Money, you know. I don't know who it is. Yes, yes. Bark Moyer. Hey, oh, yeah. Bon, Mark Boyer. Boy, yeah, you are the bad I'm the guy. Bad. No. <laughs> it was based on a true story. Uh, that one. I'd say that's a lot of private eye novels are based on a true story. And, uh, I, I would find Most stories are. There's a, a, I don't a think hint of truth to them all. Oh, yeah. Even the biggest lie. Well, the the best lies. Truth is so weird compared to fiction. That someone wrote a review of my book, Capture the Saint, which the strangest part of the whole story is true. And they said, that is the stupidest thing. <laughs> Why Bear would come up with this crackpot, you know, idea of such and such taking place. And I said, that's the part of the book that's 100% true. <laughs> that actually happened. Yeah. Wow. 
that a uh, police detective murders someone it is stupid enough to just like in the movies as he's killing him gives one of those speeches on why he's killing him and the guy <laughs> has a tape recorder knows he's going to get killed his little tape recorder is trapped to his body when they take the body to the morgue and take his clothes off Here's the tape recorder with the police officer's complete confession. I'm killing you because... <laughs> and that's true. It really happened in Seattle. Do I use that? You know how many years the cop did for killing that guy in cold blood? Twelve. Twelve years he was out. Wow. Wow. Try that. No, I, I, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I mean, you could get the old days back... When you were being a young juvenile person running around acting juvenile, you could have got more, more time for selling marijuana than he got for selling somebody in cold blood in an alley. Yeah. Just because he was a cop. Well, I guess you get a certain amount of leeway for being a law enforcement officer when you break the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about the new logic. Meanwhile, you were in a horrible accident recently. Yes. In fact, I expect you to look worse than you do. I mean, not that you look bad, bad yeah. you know what I mean? How many bones? And those chains make you do make you look fat. My control arm went out of my car, and um, I was doing like. And as I was going to grab my dog, I wrapped my body around her, and we rolled three times. And then I woke up in the hospital, and I have a broken neck, back, sternum from. Um, Which is the one you want me to break again? <laughs> and, and, yeah. the, and your pooch. My pooch is fine. She has a little nick on her head. That's it. And it was crazy as I have all these broken bones and I didn't have any bruises. Oh, that is weird. It's so weird. <laughs> Just a bunch of bruises from them missing trying to put an IV in me. Oh, yeah, that'll happen. They start jabbing you. Like, yeah, because I don't have any left. <laughs> I, uh, nurses have a terrible time giving me an IV because they just can't find... Uh, it used okay. to be really easy to find my stuff. <laughs> yeah, they all got used up. Yeah. I mean, they're hiding. You know, I've got. I um, I was in for uh, a regular um, exam where they knock you out, and I had three nurses working to try and get the IV somewhere in my body. It took them twenty minutes to finally get a vein correct. Well, see, I can't have general anesthesia anymore. And I have to have surgery. Can you have major or colonel? <laughs> I have to have hernia, hernia surgery. i got to be awake to the whole thing because they can't knock me out anymore. Because if you've had open heart surgery, which I have, yeah. that's where they take your heart out and put it over there. Yeah. <laughs> put you in a heart-lung machine and crack your sternum open and all that stuff. They know ahead of time. Oh, you had. Oh, so you know what it's like to have a cracked sternum. Oh, I know all that stuff. Oh yeah. my God! Because they break it's your horrible. sternum and then they rip your chest open, take your heart out of your body, put you on a heart lung machine, take your heart over here, open it up, work you know, on it, work on it. That's fucking weird. Do that. <laughs> put, it back, put it back in. Meanwhile, your blood chemistry has all been changed from what's normal because it's going through all this machines, metal yeah. machines. So, <laughs> but. He said, you're going to have some memory problems because it does wipe part of your hard drive. And so like all, everything that I could always remember because, well, my new password is blah, blah, blah. Gone. If it weren't for, you know, a Google password manager, I wouldn't have been able to get back into anything. All gone. So I was having the, you can't have a general anesthetic ever again because it'll wipe your hard drive you will be Mr. Senile Dementia if you have general anesthetic again. Oh, wow. So, well, that's something to look forward to. I want to remember I have it. That's what I say with animals, too. Like, it brings up uh, predis- like things you're predisposed, you're predisposed to. It'll bring out problems. Oh, wonderful. Wonder- <laughs> that's wonderful. Just don't lock me in a room with an animal and give us both that. We'll have nothing but problems. <laughs> so I have that to look forward to. But as I was telling you, we have a uh, five people listening to this and communicating at the same time. There's an open chat room for this show mm-hmm. that people can chat with each other and everything while oh, we're talking. Interesting. I didn't know that. And... Uh, they were commenting on the fact that I had uh, pretty much been told that I had cancer. And the only question was, how bad is it and how many... Let's look at our watch and see how long you've got to live. 
They did the whole radiation thing where they radiate me. Oh, yeah. What you, the fun it took. Finally get any oh, kind my of God. diagnosis. The doctor, when he first saw the shadow on my lungs, he goes, I need a biopsy on this like in three days. we got to act fast on this. How many months later was it? It was three and a half, I believe. Three and a half months. To finally <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get the insurance and the doctors all on the same page. <laughs> so they finally do it. <clears throat> I'm standing in line at Vaughn's, getting ready to go with my, with my daughter somewhere, and the phone rings the doctor. He goes, well, got the results. He says, uh, it's negative. I said, are you positive? <laughs> so what does that mean? You know? <laughs> he says, you don't have cancer. Said, oh, should we get any contagious parting gifts? <laughs> <laughs> At least you have a sense of humor. I was pretty happy to hear about that. Yeah. And, uh, I posted that, and I got a wave. Of, yeah, that's good. So our regular core group of listeners were all very supportive for it. Thank you very much for that. And so I immediately went out and bought it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty severe. Uh, three. three. We, we, I want to mention she has a GoFundMe. Oh, she does. We, yes, and we're going to promote that heavily on the yeah. True Crime Uncensored website. Okay. And, yeah, because this destroyed it, my whole ability to work. And I'm about to lose everything. Oh, that's not good. No, it's not good. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. Three, three co-workers are at a chemical plant. And they get called into the manager's office. And the manager looks at them and says, Gentlemen, I'm so sorry, but you were exposed to a toxic chemical. You have less than a week to live. Anything, your families will be taken care of, don't worry, but anything you gentlemen want, let me know. And the Catholic says, I want to go and do a trip to Lourdes, and I want to visit with the Pope. What do you want? And he says, I want to take a trip to Mecca. Yeah. Done. First class all the way. Goes to the Jew and says, what do you want? And the Jew says, I think I'd like a second opinion. <laughs> 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 Mrs. Moskowitz, here we go. He's a perfect place. Got three Jews, no waiting. <laughs> so it's probably GoFundMe slash Kelly Moskowitz. <laughs> but whatever it is, I'll post it uh, on my Facebook and uh, on the True Crime Uncensored page on Facebook. And uh, we've got to bring our, our true crime on into it to update it. So I think we just might have to start a whole new. Well, no, what you do is, uh, um, doesn't it have a, you know, get me, you know, do, you know, did you forget your password thing? Yeah. And you, and it goes through and you enter a new one? I, th- I think so. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't. No, I it's a strange development, all right. But anyway, so keep keep uh, checking in on uh, uh, my page and uh, on Facebook and on the uh, True Crime uh, page. Where I post uh, Kelly's GoFundMe because we want Kelly Moskowitz. Yes, we right. don't want her to lose everything. No, we don't want that. We don't have nothing to lose because <laughs> he just sold all of his rights for what four hundred seventy million. <laughs> Anyway, what's next? Hey, Pearl. Yeah. What is next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live from the Lightning of Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com. <laughs> I thought that was a fun show. Yes, it was a fun show. <laughs>